Welcome to another ABI podcast of a conversation with a respected figure in the insolvency world. I'm Felicia Turner, the Deputy Executive Director of the American Bankruptcy Institute. Today we are conducting another podcast in our series of conversations with presidents of various organizations of prominence in the insolvency community. For this September installment, I'm speaking with Martha Bronitsky, the current president of the National Association of Chapter 13 Trustees, which is better known as the NACTT. Martha is the Chapter 13 Standing Trustee for the Oakland Division of the Northern District of California. She was appointed to this position in June of 1995. She oversees a staff of 21 employees and administers about 4,500 cases. Prior to her appointment, she was Vice President and Counsel at Home Savings of America, where she oversaw all of the Northern California bankruptcy matters. She is also a former Deputy District Attorney for the County of San Mateo. Martha graduated from UCLA with an undergraduate degree in political science and the University of Maryland School of Law. She is the immediate past president of the San Mateo County Women Lawyers Educational Foundation and the past president of the San Mateo County Bar Association. She's also a board member of and very active in the Rotary Club of Foster City. Martha, thanks for joining me today, and I'm looking forward to talking to you. Well, thanks for having me, Felicia. Yeah, well, it sounds like from your bio that you're very busy. Why don't we start out talking to our listeners about the NACTT and give us a little background on its history and its membership and its purpose? All right. Um, NACTT was founded in 1965 by a handful of what were known then as bankruptcy referees to get together and just discuss items about Chapter 13 and how to run their offices because they were true business people who were appointed by the court but had to start the business on their own. Um, From that, we've grown to 876 members, 198 of whom are uh, Chapter 13 trustees, and the rest who are associate members, such as debtors' counsel, creditors' counsel, actual creditors, and other people who are interested in the whole world of Chapter 13. Our purpose is advocacy on behalf of Chapter 13 trustees and um, the other participants and education of the entire bankruptcy community. Okay. Well, thank you for that brief introduction. As to being president, um, that usually you're a volunteer in that role and it takes up a lot of time, but I know it's something very important to you. Why don't you give us a little background on when you took over the reins as president and how much time it's taking um, in your ordinary day or week and and what are the sort of things you're doing? I uh, took over at our annual seminar in San Francisco on July Ninth, and I will be president until the end of our annual seminar in Boston on July 4th of 2009. Um, the president of NECTT is the point person for everything. We, I get emails and phone calls almost daily from other Chapter 13 trustees with various issues they have from as simple um, as how are you collecting debtors' attorney's fees to as complicated as uh, dealing with uh, the United States trustee program or requests for information from, say, a congressperson. I also um, am the primary legal obligor on contracts, so the 
first month I had to sign several new contracts with our website provider and our computer security agency. And I'm also, as we're doing right now, the public relations person. I answer as many questions as I can, both about what a Chapter 13 trustee does and what bankruptcy is. As to the time, I was a little surprised. Even though I've been an officer for uh, four years before this, I was surprised at how much time it takes because um, if, if you have a complaint, you're going to call the president. Mm-hmm. If you have a question, they call the president. So it's taking up about 10 to 20 hours of my uh, time during the week, and then uh, there's a, a lot of travel involved as well to go to other organizations' meetings and to go to our own events that we put on throughout the year. Right. I'm sure it's a lot of fun, but it also um, takes up a lot of time. It's it's good of people like you to dedicate your time to those organizations because we need great leaders like you, and um, I'm sure you are the most visible person. And having been in that spot before in my life, I understand you probably get a lot of contact. A lot of contact. <laughs> <laughs> I've been hearing a lot lately about the NACTT Academy for Consumer Bankruptcy Education um, since that's relatively new, why don't you take a few minutes to tell us about its mission and its history, kind of how it came to be and when it came to be. Well, um, NACTT has a long history of seeing uh, areas that need help or filling or information and helping to create organizations to fill that need. We did it almost 20 years ago with uh, debtor education through the Trustee Education Network, which was founded by trustees and funded from NACTT at first. Mm-hmm. It's now a standalone corporation that uh, focuses solely on debtor education providing programs. We also did it about seven years ago for the National Data Center, which is the key place to go for creditors and debtors to get any data from any almost any trustee in the United States. So last year, after uh, several discussions among our trustee membership about strategy and where we go and how we best use our information and our dollars, the membership um, set as the number one priority education, but not just education of trustees and their staff, education all the way down to a debtor consumer level at the local level. And so from that, the academy was born and NACTT granted the uh, academy seed money to develop their organization, and their website. And the mission of the academy is to uh, go out and educate people. Um, Because of the advocacy that NHCTT does, we're not a 501c3. We can't accept grants. We can't do grant writing because we do a lot of advocacy with the United States Trustee Program in Congress on behalf of uh, Chapter 13 trustees. So we're not in a position to accept charitable donations. The Academy will be a purely educational vehicle and will provide education to any organization or group that asks. Um, they did put on the seminar this year for us, our annual seminar. They are going to be doing some regional seminars for trustees, but they're also available to um, judges or to debtors bar or to um, creditors who want an uh, education on uh, various aspects of Chapter 13. So they're really out there uh, educating the public about bankruptcy and about the choice of Chapter 13. 
Well, we all know that that's very important, especially in this um, particular time period with all of the mortgage and foreclosure crisis. I think the website, is it um, considerchapter13.org? It is considerchapter13.org. Okay, for our listeners, so they should go visit that website. It's set up really well. Can you tell us who's the leadership of the Academy and and what other kind of specific activities we might see coming out of it in the future? Well, the incorporator for the 501c3, which the IRS granted pretty quickly, was Henry Hildebrand, uh, one of the Chapter 13 trustees in Tennessee. And the board is made up of five past presidents of NACTT, Andrea Selly, who is the trustee up in Albany, New York, Kathleen Levitt, who is one of the trustees in Las Vegas, Nevada, Carl Bukowski, who's in Michigan, and Jan Johnson, who is one of the trustees in Sacramento, California, and Henry Hildebrand. Mm-hmm. They are the board that directs it, and they have two employees, the executive director, uh, former judge Tom Waldron from Ohio, and then a web guru who is working hard to get the website running and con- new content posted as often as possible. And their activities have mostly concentrated on getting our seminar ready. Mm-hmm. And now I understand they have a seminar to do, a regional seminar for debtors' attorneys in Indiana. And they're working on receiving some grants from the National Conference of Bankruptcy Judges. And they're also going to be receiving some punitive damage awards in litigation against um, mortgage servicers, which will be used to create an educational program for mortgage servicers on how to file proofs of claim, how to account for money, how to deal with um, various things that happen in a Chapter 13, especially uh, in jurisdictions where the mortgage, ongoing mortgage payment is paid for by the trustee, paid through the trustee. Oh, I had not heard about that latter um, issue with the punitive damages. Have some already been awarded? I believe some have been awarded, and many have been argued and requested. <laughs> right. I mean, I've been following all of the news about all of the actions pending over the alleged abuses, so that's a great idea to put put that money back into the system to use it in a good way. To right, help. and it's a and you know judges are are more inclined to grant punitive damages if there's a specific place for it to go. Right. And as Chapter Thirteen trustees, we can't get that money because we're a nonprofit and we can't use it. Mm-hmm. So I think the academy will be a great vehicle for taking that money and and educating that part of consumer bankruptcy as to what the rules are and how to follow them. Right. That's a great idea. Let's move away from the NACTT a little bit to the Chapter 13 trustees' role in the system. I understand that there are currently over 200 Chapter 13 trustees in the country, and the majority of which, as you already pointed out, are members of the NACTT. And in recent statistics, we saw that the July consumer bankruptcy filings increased 48% over the same period in 2007, and then the increase from June to July in 2008 was almost 14% in and of itself. And also, although it slightly decreased from June to July, I understand that the Chapter 13 cases filed in July constituted 32.5% of all consumer cases. We can't dispute the fact that the consumer filings are on the rise again and only expected to keep rising with the current mortgage and foreclosure crisis. The Chapter 13 trustees play an important role, obviously. They disperse billions of dollars to creditors each year. Further, they're on the front line. Many, if not most of the times, the Chapter 13 trustee is the only official representative of the bankruptcy system that an individual debtor sees. 
So that's a lot of responsibility for you and your colleagues. Why don't you describe for our listeners what this important role of the Chapter 13 trustee in the bankruptcy system actually involves? Well, Felicia, you described it perfectly. We're on the front line. Some people call us the gatekeeper. We are the first ones to see the uh, Chapter 13 bankruptcy petition when it's filed. We evaluate it according to the bankruptcy code and the local rules of our jurisdiction and according to, um, and we look at to see whether or not this plan is going to work, it's legal, the debtor can afford it, and we really are the people, many times the only person making an evaluation of that plan. In that case, we also conduct what's called the first meeting of creditors, which you're familiar with. Mm -hmm. Um, The debtor has to come in, be sworn in by the Chapter 13 trustee and examined on all their paperwork, asked important questions under penalty of perjury as to whether everything in there is true and correct, whether or not they're making their mortgage payments, and just examine them on their financial uh, matters for the case. And then if it's uh, necessary, we object to the plan or we work with the uh, creditor and debtor attorney to resolve their objections and ultimately put it before the judge to make the final decision if that's necessary. In my jurisdiction, I am truly a gatekeeper. The judges don't want to see anything unless there's a major objection by a creditor or myself that can't be resolved through negotiation and um, meeting together. So out of the 210 cases per month I see, only about 20 to 30 get before a judge monthly. Mm -hmm. And most of them are resolved very quickly or there's no problems with them, and I recommend confirmation right after that. After all that, once it's confirmed, we become a collector and disperser. We make sure the debtor gives us their payments, and we pay the creditors according to the proofs of claims that are filed. We evaluate the proofs of claims to make sure they're timely, they're not duplicative, they have all the attachments they require, and sometimes we have to object to them. And then I run a debtor education program, which every credit debtor is required to take now before they can get a discharge. And so I, my staff who runs that and myself spend a lot of time educating debtors just on basics. Some of them don't even know how to balance a checkbook, so we walk them through all that. And then I evaluate the case one more time to make sure the claims have been paid correctly, the debtor's done everything they're required to do, and then recommend to the court that a discharge be entered. Yeah, you truly are the gatekeeper, gatekeeper of the whole Chapter 13 system, and I know the judges appreciate all the work you do behind the scenes. Um, I, know, I know that I've talked to lots of judges about that, and, and they rely on their Chapter 13 trustees to do all that work behind the scenes, make sure the system runs smoothly. I'm glad to hear that you're one of the approved providers for debtor education. All the initial reports on the debtor education component of BAP-CEPA have been great, that it really is providing a benefit to these debtors, and I think it's wonderful that the, some some or a lot of the Chapter 13 trustees have decided to offer it. And that kind of leads us to BAP-CEPA a little bit. It changed the system in many ways, including your duties, putting even re- more responsibility on the shoulders of the Chapter 13 trustees. Can you address some of those changes that um, BAP-CEPA brought about for you as a 13 trustee? Well, it has um, required a lot more paperwork monitoring on behalf of the Chapter 13 trustee. We have to make sure as soon as the case is filed that the debtor 
has done and filed a certificate of credit counseling, which has to be done before they file. We have to make sure they filled out this new form called the means test, which uh, outlines their uh, income and expenses averaged for the six months prior to the case. We have to receive the tax returns and 60 months worth of pay stubs seven days prior to the 341. And um, create. I had to create a secure server for the tax returns mm-hmm. so that I could have them on hand to evaluate from year to year. There's um, much more legal interpretation that's going on and much more motion practice and litigation that's going on because we all struggle with some of the vagueness of the new law and interpreting it in our practices. And so many of us are uh, filing motions and arguing them and trying to see our way to what's really happened, how we should apply the law. And then we have to um, pay claims a little bit differently. We have to make sure that if the debtor is obligated to make alimony or child support payments that they are making them and um, that we've given the specified notice to both the custodial parent and the child support collection agency. Whether or not the debtor is uh, delinquent, we have to give these notices. Mm -hmm. We have to track, um, at the end of the case, much more information has to be certified and provided. And I can't recommend a discharge until I know that the debtor has certified that they've made all their domestic support obligation payments, that they weren't... um, indicted for Enron-like abuses of securities and that they've taken their debtor education. So from top to bottom, every one of my employees has, I would say, 20% more work to do in monitoring the paperwork and filing the different reports because we have to keep, uh, we're having a brand new final report that is much more statistically intensive so that the United States trustee program can do their job of reporting back to Congress. Mm-hmm. Now, when I left the United States Trustee Program, that report had not been implemented yet. Is it in place yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not yet. I know. I We're know. still working on it. It went okay. through final rulemaking, uh-huh. and at the seminar in San Francisco, we did uh, sit down in a room. Every single trustee that came to the seminar was in that room, and we went over line by line the final report. So it's now in the educational process, mm-hmm. and we should be using it in uh, the beginning of the year because of the federal rulemaking right. uh, timelines. Um, we're, just, we're still very hopeful that the courts will go to some sort of smart form so some of the data will directly load into the report, but that's probably not going to happen. So right. we will start using it um, in January, and it's been my goal as a leader of NACTT to constantly remind the trustees to capture that data now mm-hmm. because there'll be no lead time on this report. We'll have to start using it immediately. Yeah, I remember I was involved in some of the initial discussions to come up with the form in the beginning and, I mean, the requirements of what has to be captured under BAPSEPA that just wasn't all being captured before because we didn't need it at that time. So it is a huge I don't know that the public recognizes what a huge change that is for the Chapter 13 trustees to capture all that information and how much thought has to go into the software and the tagging and, and right. you know. And even the tasking of my employees, the biggest struggle for most trustees has been to uh, get the claims posted immediately in a case mm-hmm. because now final reports about the claims have to be filed in every single case, whether or not it makes it to confirmation. 
Right. And that's a big change for a lot of us, me included. And so that has really, I've really struggled with that and had to um, be a true business person and reallocate resources in my office. Had to lay a position off to create another claims position. Right. Just to get that done. Well, I wish you the best of luck with it. I know it's going to... It's going to be an interesting process to implement. I'm sure there will be a few bumps in the road, but I know that everyone on both sides, your your side and the U.S. trustee side, have put a lot of work into trying to make it smooth. And yeah. I know that you were talking about some of the BAPSEPA legal issues. I did notice recently that I think if you're in the Ninth Circuit, you recently got some guidance on some of it, right? Well, we got guidance whether or not we like it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was going to say you might not agree with it or not. But Another issue. <laughs> I know some trustees just wanted some guidance, period. But um, Well, and you know what? I was, I've been working with it, and it's not as bad as everyone thought. And, yes, you're right. I talked to a trustee the other day who was litigating a motion and was going to take it up to the uh, Ninth Circuit Bankruptcy Appellate Panel just and didn't have really a feeling one way or the other, but just needed to know what to do. Right. Just so and you that can, happens a lot. Well, I know it's it's hard to figure out all the answers on the new legal issues, and, and they can go so many different ways. So maybe that's the positive spin for getting some guidance, even if you don't agree with it. That's true. In working um, through all these aspects of your Chapter 13 practice, you have to work with a lot of different um, parties in the system, particularly debtor attorneys. You work with them every day from the beginning to the end of the case. What might you have to say to them in general or specifically about fostering the relationship between Chapter 13 trustees and debtor attorneys? Well, I'm really lucky. I have a really good core group of debtor attorneys in my local bar who uh, recognize that you need to have a strong, competent Chapter 13 trustee's office in order for their life to be a little easier. Um, We work together on various educational issues all the time. The biggest thing I see when I go out and go to other jurisdictions and talk to debtors' attorneys is that it's unfortunate in some it's become a very adversarial relationship, and I would urge debtors' attorneys to try and keep open communication with the Chapter 13 trustee, ask them questions about the law, invite them to speak to you. We love to share our knowledge. We love to work together. Um, because on the flip side, having a strong, competent debtor's bar makes our life much, much easier. If we can keep the uh, pro se debtor population down and keep them going to competent attorneys who provide us with everything we need, it makes it a lot easier for us. Um, I'm always available to, I speak to other debtor's bars too, and I'm always available to talk to the debtor's attorneys in my jurisdiction and to answer questions and work through problems. We just got done with a seminar this week where my staff um, had them come into the office and walk them through our new website where they can now calculate plans and see the claims that have been actually filed and see whether or not their client's making payments, all preventing phone call, multiple phone calls to my office and making it a lot easier for them to process their cases. And so I enjoy open communication, but I would urge debtors' attorneys to also try and enjoy open communication. I think our ultimate goal is to um, get good debtors, honest debtors, hardworking people, their discharge and a fresh start, and to keep the debtors who are trying to manipulate the system and hide assets and break the law out. Everybody shares that. And so I think if we work together, it um, 
will accomplish those goals. And the open communication is wonderful, and it will certainly create a lot of inefficiencies down the road that could be caused by lack of communication. Another important relationship for any Chapter 13 trustee is his or her relationship with the U.S. Trustee's Office, which is charged with the appointment and oversight of the 13 trustees. And I know the U.S. Trustee Program and the NACCT have been working closely and well together for the last several years to keep communications open and beneficial to all constituents. I served on that liaison committee for a while. Um, can you briefly address that relationship with the U.S. Trustee Program nationally and then also anything you have for advice for the local relationship for other trustees? Well, nationally, the relationship has improved dramatically in the years I've served on the liaison committee and then in the executive committee. Uh, I became a trustee in 1995, and there was some major tension at that time and a lot of suggestion by the program that we, uh, Chapter 13 trustees, didn't really um, have the best interest of everyone in mind, which we, of course, disagreed with. But through the years, and especially with the appointment of Director Larry Friedman and then Director Cliff White, the current director, the goal, I believe, of the director and the program has to be to keep open communication between us to find the areas that we agree on and focus on those rather than concentrate on the areas that we disagree on. Now, we do have disagreements. Everybody does. And we do approach things from a different point of view. But we have very successfully worked together on creating debtor education programs and getting trustees certified quickly while treating them equally with every other uh, provider. We've worked closely on developing guidelines and groups working together to solve some of the issues that come forward, such as creditor abuses or um, uh, civil and, le- and criminal enforcement of debtors who are just really just bad actors and are just trying to take advantage. And our communication is better than it's ever been, and I think it was the recognition that together we uh, solve more problems than fighting. Um, and so we enjoy a very, very good relationship with the United States Trustee Program at this point. I feel like any member of the Liaison Committee can pick up the phone and talk to the Liaison Committee from the U.S. Trustee Program and at least air our differences and work something out. Um, and we're, we're working on several initiatives right now together to uh, get some more guidance for trustees and United States trustees in various aspects of running our offices. What I would say locally is I've been blessed with great United States trustees. Um, I had the privilege of working under Bill Neary as an acting United States trustee, and he's one of the great United States trustees, and now I'm having the privilege to work with Sarah Kistler, who is a phenomenal acting United States trustee because she used to be in the field in Tampa, as you know, Mm -hmm. and she understands from the local level what we all deal with, and she's very open to helping us in any way she can. I do know that sometimes not everyone agrees with their local United States trustee, and what I urge everyone to do is to talk, once again, I think the underlying theme of my presidency is relationships and communication, to talk, to invite them into your office and show them what you do. I think sometimes it's just you need to educate people about what we all do in the program rather than fighting. Mm -hmm. And what I would urge the United States trustees to remember is we're all operating under reduced 
resources and increased responsibilities and any help that we can be given and any understanding of how stressful our job has become will go a long way to uh, creating a better and great relationships. Right. Well, I certainly agree with your comments about Cliff and Larry and Sarah and Bill. Know them all personally and um, think highly of all of them. And then when I became U.S. trustee, I actually visited all 18 offices, and, and nothing could substitute that experience of walking through the trustee's office and meeting the employees and learning how the different operations were set up. Um, that was a great education process for me. Let's move to some of the issues of today. Let's take filings first. There's certainly a lot of talk about when the filings are going to reach pre-BAPSEPA levels and, and how the percentage division between Chapter 13s and Chapter 7s may settle or further change. I'm not going to ask you to make any predictions, but what would what are you seeing in your district or what do you know about the trends and where the filings are headed? Well, you know, certainly the two weeks before uh, October 2005, uh, the effective date we all saw enormous filings. I mean, the Chapter 7 trustees were almost doing 341s around the clock. They were doing dual 341s in the federal building, and they were, I was stretched to the end, too. I was trying to get them all in within the time period. And then we saw a time period where nobody filed because the public thought uh, bankruptcy was illegal. Mm -hmm. Um, Slowly but surely, uh, people are realizing that bankruptcy is available to them, um, that they just have to fill out some more paperwork and have to comply with some income levels. In the Northern District of California, we are seeing over the last six months a, a large increase because of the mortgage crisis. We're hit very hard in Oakland, the Oakland Division with foreclosures and um, houses that are not worth the paper on them, and the gas prices and all that have created a perfect storm. Um, at the beginning of uh, BAPSIPA, I was seeing twice as many 13s as the 7s being filed, which I think was the goal of Congress. Mm-hmm. I think now it's 50-50. It used to be two-thirds 7, one-third 13, and I think that was pretty consistent throughout the nation, except in uh, the district divisions that uh, push 13 extremely. Now it's about 50-50 in my jurisdiction, and I'm hearing more and more that um, more 7s are being filed. Mm-hmm. Um, National trends, I think we're going to pretty quickly reach back to the pre-BAPSEPA levels of cases filed, but the cases do not pay as much money as they used to. I'm seeing uh, smaller plan payments, and that's because people are using the 13 as a vehicle to just walk away from their home, Mm -hmm. and the income in America is down substantially. Uh, So... While the level of number of cases rises and the amount of work rises, the income stream is still quite low. Okay. Well, thank you for those observations. Let's let's talk about the other really hot issue of the day, which is that, as we know, back in April, proposed legislation to permit modification of residential home mortgages in Chapter 13 was defeated on the Senate floor. But both Senator Obama and Senator Biden, who's a vice presidential candidate for Senator Obama, they were in favor of such legislation. So do you think this is going to become an issue with the election and or with any new administration? I think it will be a question and issue that is asked of the candidates at various town halls or debates because I don't think you can talk about the economic crisis 
in the United States and the mortgage crisis specifically without talking about bankruptcy as a, a fix. Whether it's the bankrupt, whether or not it's an individual's bankruptcy to try and save their home, or a bankruptcy of a financial institution, I don't know what their answers are. However, I do have a certain feeling that an Obama administration might be more open to some changes in order to uh, solve <laughs> some of the crisis that's going on. Um, I don't particularly remember which way Senator Biden or Obama voted on the bankruptcy bill. I believe Senator Biden was against it. But I do think that there's a realization that perhaps some of the changes in BAPSIPA are not doing what they thought it would do and that they maybe need to do a bill that would more uh, implement the policies they were looking for. Right. Is it NAC- I'm trying really hard not to be partisan. <laughs> no, that's fine. I appreciate that, too. And ABI is not partisan either, So, but it's a hot issue, and everyone's talking about, um, you know, whether if it were an Obama administration, whether some of BAPSIPA would be undone, and then particularly whether he would push again for the Chapter 13 uh, modification provisions. I believe that Senator Biden actually voted for BAPSIPA, much to everyone's surprise, and that Senator Obama voted against it. Does the NACTT take any f- official position on legislative matters like this? Well, um, up until this spring, the NACTT had never taken a position for or against a bill. I personally, with Hank Hildebrand, spent an, a lot of time in Congress educating them about various aspects of the proposed legislation and what it would or would not a- achieve for them. But we never took a position. NACTT felt that um, we were not an advocacy position in that point of view. However, this year, for the first time, we felt strongly enough, our membership and our leadership, that we needed to take a position on the April bill that was defeated. And our position was to support the legislation. We felt it was a non-taxpayer fix of the mortgage crisis, that it would uh, achieve what most Chapter 13 debtors need and want, which is to save their home and get a fresh start and pay what they can. And so that's why we went out on a limb and took that position. But I believe, I know it's the first time that we ever Mm -hmm. took a position on legislation, and it will probably be the only time we take it. And that's because we were just faced with an enormous crisis in our country that needed a solution, and we thought this was the better solution, that that was not a taxpayer bailout, and it shared the pain among everyone, creditors and debtors, and it uh, helped people save their homes, which I think is a basic of economic stability, is to have homeowners. Right. Okay. Well, we'll see what happens during the election and with the new administration, and we'll watch what the NACTT decides to do then. Um, Before we conclude, let me ask you if you have anything that you'd like to add for our listeners. I I assume our listeners are going to be other Chapter 13 trustees and judges and bankruptcy practitioners and the like from both the ABI and the NACTT. Anything you'd like to add? Well, I just, my theme this year is communication and relationships. I think it's very important that at this time in our bankruptcy world, we have the ability to go out and affect change and be on the front line. 
and just be there to advocate for everyone in the system, for a system that is full of integrity. So if anybody wants to join us in that, I'd invite them to. I'd invite them to talk to me, to participate on any level that they can. If it's just to call your Chapter 13 trustee and say, hi, I'm a debtor's attorney, I'm a creditor's attorney, can you help educate me on your procedures? Or to reach out to NACTT to maybe help you do a program or come to a seminar of some kind. I just really want to urge everyone to to find the common ground rather than to fight. Right. Well, I agree with your message. I think it's a wonderful message, so I hope we have a lot of listeners that will take it to heart. Thank you very much for joining me today, Martha. I've enjoyed talking with you as always. I'm sure our listeners will enjoy this podcast and appreciate your perspective and the information you've conveyed. I wish you the best as you continue to serve the system in such an honorable way. It's because of professionals like you that the system works as well as it does. You're definitely a credit to the system. Please look to our listeners for our next podcast in the series soon. We hope to do future podcasts with the presidents of the National Association of Consumer Bankruptcy Attorneys and the National Association of Credit Management. And please visit abiworld.org to listen to past podcasts with the presidents of the National Association of Bankruptcy Trustees, the National Conference of Bankruptcy Judges, the International Association of Restructuring, Insolvency, and Bankruptcy Professionals, the Turnaround Management Association, and the Association of Insolvency and Restructuring Advisors. From the American Bankruptcy Institute, this is Felicia Turner. Thank you for listening.